Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today for this seminar on Corey and how to seal and expunge records. And also, thank you for volunteering to uh, help us out in terms of doing some intakes through our, our uh, BBA, GBLS, uh, Corey Zooms that we have once a month on the uh, second Wednesday of the month at from 2 o'clock to 4 p.m. I'm going to turn it over to Ventura, who's going to talk a little bit about the logistics of getting cases from GBLS, and then we'll dive right into the presentation. Okay. Hello, everybody. I am a senior attorney in the Corey Project with Pauline, and I just am going to describe the process of volunteering with us and what that would entail. So, First off, we would do the actual intake at the Quarry Clinics that we hold once a month, every second Wednesday. Once we complete the intake, we're going to shoot out our email to the volunteer um, lawyers list and see who is ready to take a case. Then that lawyer will take the intake, contact the client, and also request their quarry through the iQuarry system. You still need to have the client actually fill out the quarry request form and mail it to you because the iQuarry system for advocates, it requires you to have a paper copy as well as you entering the information online. So um, after you request their quarry, you can um, begin to assess what to do next, the next steps for the case using our manual and our training materials. But if you come up with any substantial questions you need to ask us, you can of course reach out. If it's um, a more simple question about like the intake process or how to use iQuery, you can reach out to our probate, probate coordinator, Allie, okay? Um, that seems like a lot, but we, we can follow up with a email just summarizing what the process will be like. But basically, we're handling the intake and then you would take over once we do the intake with the client and um, request the query, assess the case and go from there. OK, so I'm going to start off our training today by um, explaining how to sell the through probation, but I'll go with the slides first. <laughs> so what is the Corey problem? It, you know, across the country nationally, as many as one in three people and over a hundred million people have criminal arrest records in a state repository. So it's not just a Massachusetts problem, it's definitely a national problem. And our project tries to help as many people as we can within Massachusetts deal with their record. And in Massachusetts, there is a um, higher incarceration rate for those who are Black and Latino. Blacks and Latinos are over 50% of those who are incarcerated, but only 17% of the mass population. So Corey work is racial justice work because we try to help the many um, Black and Latino and other people of color in Massachusetts who are disproportionately overly incarcerated and have Corey records. So there are some things that you want to do, um, a client wants to do before sealing their records. We suggest that they get certified copies of the complaint and the docket, which is in the court file at the court. 
before sailing their case, because once you sail a case, you cannot then go to the court and ask for those documents. You would have to then unseal your case if you need access to those copies. So it's important to get copies of everything in the court file before you have those records sealed in case you need it at a later date. And if you are not a citizen, definitely want to consult with an immigration lawyer because um, if you're not a citizen, you're applying for a change in your status. They want access to all the information on your quarry. And once you sail it, like I said, you cannot have that information unless you unseal it. So you don't want to find a client in a bad predicament where they have to quickly unseal all of their charges and it may be an arduous process. So we you know, suggest everyone who's not a citizen to definitely consult with the immigration attorney and make sure they get copies if they choose on their own to seal those cases so that they have access to those records. So some things you want to check before you seal a case for a client is whether or not the client had any cases in, um, involved in the Dukin and Farrakh drug lab, drug lab scandals. Um, although they don't have a special unit anymore, there is a form online as well as a hotline that clients can access if they were involved in those drug lab scandals and they would like help to make sure it's resolved on their record if it hasn't been. And also if they have any um, court costs that was associated with those cases that they might want returned to them, they want to reach out to CPCS before they sail so that they can make sure they have access to those monies being returned to them. And also it's important to note that certain convictions of quaffs are grounds for removal or deportation, as well as loss of jobs and other opportunities. So you want to reopen these cases if they were part of the scandal and make sure you're getting those off of clients' records um, so that they no longer negatively impact their record in their future. So how can you sell your quarry? There are two ways. One is through probation by mail after a seven-year waiting period for a felony and a three-year waiting period for a misdemeanor. There is no waiting period for decriminalized offenses. However, um, the Commissioner Probation's Office has a policy that if you have other charges on your record that are not eligible, you would not be able to seal a decriminalized record on your quarry until everything on your record is eligible to be sealed. Um, the second way to sell your record is by a judge, and it does not require a waiting period, uh, but it only applies to specific types of cases, and we're going to be going over that later in the presentation. So how do you sell through probation? The administrative process is under um, you know, General Law Chapter 276, we call it 100A, is free and it involves filling in and mailing in the form or hand delivering it to the Mission Probation's office after you meet the required waiting period. So waiting period is three years for a misdemeanor and seven years for a felony. You want to make sure that you're using the 
newest form. There are a few older forms that exist, but if you use those forms, you'll be denied and have to then resubmit the petition to seal. Um, and right now it's taking them at least three months to process petitions. So you want to make sure you're on top of having the most recent form for your client. You cannot have open cases in any court. And if you are on probation, that means that your case is open. So this also includes out-of-state courts um, and also federal courts. So on our intake form, we do ask if a client has out-of-state records or federal cases because we want to make sure those are closed and then that they are eligible to seal after the required waiting periods. So there is um, something to note. Felony larceny has increased. It used to be a felony larceny charge over 250 was a felony. That threshold has been raised to $1,200. And so if you see a felony larceny charge that's over two that says 250, you want to ask the client how much the amount was because if it is under 1200, that is actually a misdemeanor larceny um, case now. And that can be sealed in three years instead of seven years for a felony. So it's definitely something to pay attention to and ask your client if you see a felony larceny charge. So this is the petition to seal form. As you can see at the top, it, there is the address that you mail the form to or if you wanna hand deliver it. Um, underneath that are four boxes. You can check each box depending on what you want this form to do for you. So if you want to seal juvenile cases, you check the first box. Misdemeanors, you check the second felonies, the third box, and fourth box is for decriminalized cases. Um, but if you are unsure of what applies to you and you just check all four boxes, that's completely fine. The Commissioner Probation's Office looks up each person's record and assesses which, which charges can be sealed and what can't and which charges can't. So if you make a mistake and, and check the inappropriate box, that's okay. They will still process the petition. And so you want to make sure you fill out these this demographic information completely. Again, that is something that the Commission of Probation may reject the petition for if you don't have your full social security number as required on the form, along with something for the father's name and mother's name. Um, if it's not applicable, if they don't know it, you can feel free to write NA, but I think it's important to just try to complete the form as much as possible for the commissioner's office. And then after that, there is a place to sign your signature. And then there are some more boxes to check off depending on what you want to seal. So if you're sealing juvenile charges with this form, as well as adult charges, you check off that box one and then sign underneath the short paragraph saying, you know, you're telling the truth and to your knowledge, it's been closed. And then the second and third box you check off and sign if you're also seeking to seal the adult charges with this form. So if you're sealing juvenile and adult charges, you're signing this form three times. And if it's just adult charges, you're signing it 
Weiss. And again, it's just important that you fill it out legibly and correctly because there is a very long wait for them to process petitions and you don't want to have a client wait unnecessarily because of the form. So how do waiting periods work? When does the quarry clock start? For any conviction, the waiting period starts from the date that you were found guilty or released from incarceration, whichever one is later. So for example, Joe was found guilty of a misdemeanor on May 4th, 2020, which has a three-year waiting period. He was then on probation for a year and the case was closed on May 4th, 2021. He can sell the case by mail on May 4, 2023, because that will be three years after he was found guilty. And so the term of probation does not affect how long the quarry clock takes. There are some special waiting periods. So some convictions have longer waiting periods. Um, for example, abuse prevention and harassment order convictions are treated as felonies for sailing purposes. So although they are misdemeanors, if you have a conviction for a abuse prevention and harassment order, you do have to wait seven years for those types of charges, for those types of convictions. Sex offense convictions also, um, if you, they are required for to register with the sex offender registry, they are not eligible to seal until 15 years after the very last event in the case, including the end of any period of supervision, probation, parole, or release from incarceration. And so if you are currently in the registry, you are not permitted to sell any of your sex offenses. You have to be out of the registry to sell, although you can sell other charges on your record that are eligible. It's just the sex offense convictions that would not be eligible while you're on the registry. Now, when you are no longer in the registry and it has been 15 years since the last event in the conviction, you are able to fail those sex offenses charges. Unfortunately, level two and level three sex offenders, if you're just registered at that level, you can never seal convictions for certain sex offenses. And we have some examples listed here, rape of a child, assault with intent to rape. However, um, there was an SJC case, Cole, that said that that is unconstitutional as applied to certain individuals. And so there may be a case where an individual, if this applies to them because of their offender status, it is unconstitutional and we can help someone um, navigate that avenue if they want to um, appeal this decision and. Um, file a case, file an appeal. But for the most part, you're not able to seal if you're a level two and level three sex offender. There are also never sealable offenses. Um, we 
they are labeled as crime against public justice. The ones that we see the most often in these dark convictions are witness intimidation or escape from jail. There are also other public justice crimes and state ethics and conflicts of interest offenses that are never saleable. It's important to know that resisting arrest convictions are saleable. Um, that wasn't um, changed until relatively recently in 2018 with criminal justice reform. And so resisting arrest convictions are saleable. Before 2018, they were not. And so the law has changed and it's really great for those who have those convictions on their record. Some firearm convictions and convictions for violations of state ethics and conflicts of interest laws are also never sealable. Um, for the most part, it will be pretty um, evident, but we have a list of never sealable um, offenses that you can refer to to check whether or not an offense would fall into this category. And again, the, for these never saleable offenses, I'm only speaking about convictions. If a client has a charge for these types of cases, but it was dismissed, no pros, not guilty, those can be sealed. These are only for convictions of these types of offenses that are never saleable. So sealing juvenile records. I think I mentioned a little bit of when I was um, going over the form, but you use the same form as you use to sell your adult records to sell your juvenile records. And it's completely free. And it only requires a three-year waiting period after the date, after the last event in the case has closed. And so, like I said before, you fill out that form mail it into Commissioner Probation's office and they will respond within three months, letting you know what charges are sealed. And if for some reason a charge was not eligible, they will also let you know that as well so that you can uh, move forward with the process and know when you will be eligible to seal your charges. So unfortunately, <laughs> um, the commissioner is treating youthful offender cases as adult cases on juvenile records. And that means that they are treating them as a, they, they will have to wait the longer seven year waiting period if they are charged as a youthful offender instead of the three year shorter waiting period that is applied to most juvenile cases. Um, we are looking for um, clients who have been affected by this. So if your client um, falls in this category where they are not able to seal their juvenile record because it is a wild offense, please let us know. We are seeking to file a court, a lawsuit against the Commissioner of Probation of Office if we can find um, the appropriate plaintiffs. Okay, so I'm going to let Colleen take over now and she's going to explain how to seal um, cases in court and the types of cases that do not require a waiting period. You're muted, Pauline. Sorry about that. I, I was gonna say, I just wanna backtrack on two things. I know there, there are people in this training who maybe have never seen a Corey report or requested one. 
Uh, we have a lot of booklets online at the GBLS website. So if you just Google gbls.org, you can get to the, the website. And then we have, if you then uh, scroll and you can look for self-help, there are booklets there. And then another resource on the web is just Mass Legal Help. You can just uh, Google that word, which brings you to the Legal Services website. And that's got all kinds of fabulous materials on all types of topics, uh, including uh, record sealing. So those are some resources. We normally do this training in 90 minutes. So uh, unfortunately, we couldn't go over anything, but don't feel like you'll be left in the dark and you'll have to figure out these things on your own because uh, we will help folks every step of the way. And then the booklets pretty much are designed for pro se. So they successfully get their own quarries. So it's it's really not a rocket science. It's pretty easy to get uh, somebody's uh, criminal record. So we went, oh, we've gone over the, um, the administrative process, which is basically by mail. Though now you can actually hand deliver the petitions because they've opened their doors. Unlike uh, they were closed for a couple of years because of uh, COVID. So those can be hand delivered. And one other thing I'd mention about the whole youthful offender uh, problem. Venture, I, I didn't I realize I didn't talk to you last week. I actually did file a lawsuit. It's in the nature of mandamus. So we, we do have one client who unfortunately is stuck with a seven year waiting period and also has a never sealable offense. These are cases from 2012 from when he was 16 years old. So it's really an injustice. So we're going to have to see what happens with the lawsuit. But in the meantime, if you run into the situation, just let us know, because we want to make sure all of these these young people get helped. Or even if they're older, some of these cases can be really old for a lot of people. But, uh, you know, feel free to reach out to me or Ventura, um, and, and we will try to help you with your client. Um, the second way to seal records besides the administrative process, which is only after a waiting period, is to go and see a judge and seal your records. But it's limited as to when you can you can seal those records through the court process. So it'll be any time you're found not guilty, any time the case was dismissed or null pros, meaning that the DA dropped the case. And then there's a, th a third exception is if the case was, a, even though it was a conviction, if it was a first time drug possession conviction and the person didn't violate the terms of probation, such as community service or whatever else was, was ordered, then, then you can actually don't have to wait uh, that uh, period of time to go ahead and seal it. Uh, and I'll mention just because there's a case pending in the SJC right now. There's an old, when you actually go through the, the, the materials we gave you, you're going to see a provision under Section 100C of Chapter 276 that says any not guilty uh, offense um, is sealed automatically. And that was the case, but unfortunately in 1989, the First Circuit found that provision to be unconstitutional. And uh, then the SJC, and this was the heyday of the war on drugs, so lock, stock, and barrel, they, they adopted the so-called Pokowski decision. But flash forward to 2014 when our office actually had a case, and at that point the case law was so horrible. The case law basically said only rarely should a judge seal. We decided to take the whole kit and caboodle back to the SJC to review the standard. So they said they disagreed with the First Circuit 
that if it involved a non-conviction, that it wasn't unconstitutional. Um, but our case that was before the SJC didn't involve not guilty findings, it only involved dismissals. So that case is actually getting argued next week. We filed an amicus, as have some other groups, and the BBA, to its credit, also send in a support letter for the concept of automatic sealing, which would help a lot of folks. Go to the next slide. And uh, for, I, I, uh, it's not that I'm trying to have uh, Ventura wait on me. I, for some reason on my screen, I don't have any of the stuff that normally appears on the bottom, including being able to exit this, uh, this Zoom. So she'll be moving my slides for me. Thank you. Okay, uh, unlike the uh, petitions that are done administratively, you file a petition to seal the non-convictions in the case that handled the court. Um, and in the BMC, we have a wonderful standing order because there were like eight courthouses in the BMC, you know, Dorchester, Roxbury, South Boston, West Roxbury, BMC Central, Brighton. It's a lot of places if the person has a lot of cases. But what you can do is just file at one courthouse and do all of the cases at once, which is really a, a time saver. So um, if you see that somebody has um, any case that's in the basically in Suffolk County, except for uh, Chelsea, Chelsea's part of the district court, not part of the BMC, then you're probably going to be able to consolidate the cases. And then typically we file an affidavit along with the petition, and we don't make it a long affidavit. This is not federal court. It's not immigration court. So less can be more because these uh, BMC and district court judges handle hundreds of cases. So we, we try to keep them within two pages at the most. Um, and just outlining anything positive about the client, like they've attained a sobriety, um, if they've got certificates that they completed a training, um, any anything that looks favorable. Occasionally, we have clients who actually bring in letters of reference. Um, I've had people get letters from their moss saying what a great person the the individual is, that they're a person of faith, and they've turned their lives around. Um, sometimes even from therapists, but that gets a little iffy. You don't want to end up doing anything that will open up that the confidentiality there. But sometimes drug treatment programs or work training programs will write a letter saying, we're working with Mr. Jones. He's probably not going to get a job unless you seal his record. The next slide. And then this is the petition form. Um, it's fairly self-explanatory. You check off which court you're in, which division, whether it's district court or superior court, um, or it's the uh, Boston Municipal Court where the person's name and address and their telephone, and then it has this blank for a PCF number. And when you get somebody's Corey report, that's gonna be right on the Corey report, so you, that's easy, easily findable. If for some reason you have, you're having trouble finding it, when you go to, if you file it in person, you can get it from probation. So there are ways around that, or, or reach out to us and we'll help you figure out how to, to get that. And then you have to fill in the docket number for each charge that you're trying to seal. So. You'll put in the docket number and then you'll put in the offense. Let's say it was larceny or it was disorderly conduct. And then it'll have the disposition date. And um, 
that's getting at what finally happened with the case. So it could be the person, uh, it was dismissed, um, or it could be it was um, a null pros, or it was a not guilty. And But they are distinct grounds, so you don't just want to write non-conviction. We see a lot of petitions like that, and if it's a I remember jumping in at the last minute to help somebody in the Roxbury court and they had like, uh, uh, there's also a, a subsequent sheet you can attach for more, but believe me, having to rewrite the whole petition in the courtroom when it's, when it's two or three pages long is, is unpleasant, but you know, a lot of judges may make you correct the petition. And then you also have to put in grounds as to why you're um, going to be sealing the case so we typically usually say, you know, my my criminal record creates disadvantages related to housing, employment, and other opportunities. We don't get too much into detail because these petitions are actually posted for at least seven days. That's a, that's a requirement from an, one of the um, old cases involving sealing. So um, somebody may see that. So you don't want to say, you know, I used to be... Uh, used to have a substance abuse problem or what, whatever it is. So you can, you know, there's nothing wrong with, I mean, I think you can beef it up by saying I was rejected for a job um, or something like that, but you know, just be aware that it's going to be um, posted. And then the, disp- like I said, we have the disposition date, the, the, the disposition, then we just have to put the grounds. And when you file it, um, they're usually going to give you a hearing date um, in Dorchester, it's going to be 30 days out. In places like Roxbury, the, the minimal amount of days it has to be posted is seven days. So it's it's going to vary, and you'll check with the particular court you're dealing with. Go to the next one. This is the, the second page. It was, it's, it's even longer than that, but uh, if need be. And uh, you don't have to necessarily be shy about it, but, you know, they can get overwhelmed. So even though we can consolidate cases in the BMC, oftentimes we'll break it up because um, we want to make sure the judge has the stamina to deal with uh, all of the cases. And then if we're, for example, if we were filing in Roxbury and we're also sealing cases from Dorchester, we get the docket sheets because the, the judge is going to want to do that because they have the discretion to just say no and not proceed with it. And then we always make a packet for the DA to hand them in the courtroom because even though you mail them a copy of the petition, they, it seems to be this hole in the universe. They never have it. So um, it'll speed up things in terms of your hearing if, if you give them the courtesy of bringing them a copy of everything. Uh, and, I, and as I mentioned, once you file, um, some courts are going to require uh, one hearing. Some are going to require two hearings. And again, this all goes back to the old Pukowski case, which was incorporated in this other old Doe case of the SJC. Um, and what Pokowski also, when they had found the statute unconstitutional, they said they had to be a preliminary hearing um, before you could even have a final hearing. So it used to be we had to participate in two hearings. And most of the courts have gone to one hearing. And there is a case called uh, Commonwealth versus Pawn. That was the case that we had brought from GBLS um, to ask the, the SJC to review the standard for sealing. Unfortunately, they did throw out the old standard, um, and they. But what they did up with one or two hearings, they basically said it was up to the court. So if the court wants to do two hearings, that's okay. And if they want to do one hearing, which is more efficient, because uh, if you have two hearings, you're just doing the same thing twice for the most part, unless you lose immediately, which would be 
really terrible because all you have to do with the first hearing is make out a prima facie case, which is not that hard just by alleging there, there's, there, there's reasons why a person should seal. Go to the next slide. So as, as we mentioned about uh, the, the, the case called Commonwealth versus Pond, um, that overruled and abrogated the, the prior case law um, that said there was a basically a constitutional standard that had to be met. So it was a really high burden. So they threw that out. So we no longer have to show that the individual's interest in sealing a record um, outweighs the public's First Amendment right to access to records. So you have to show good cause. And we got specific guidance in um, Commonwealth versus Pond as how judges should approach uh, making these good cause determinations. Uh, one of the things that's fabulous about the Pond case is the SJC said specifically that judges may take judicial notice that the existence of a record, regardless of what it contains, which means even if it's um, a favorable disposition can pre pre present barriers to housing and employment opportunities. And we don't have time to get into the particulars, but there are studies showing that any kind of criminal record, even if it's, uh, uh, even if it ends in your favor, it can be an impediment to job opportunities. And so what the petitioner has to show, they, they no longer have to show actually, under the old case law, you had to link the record to a specific harm, which basically set you up for failure. So uh, the SJC agreed with us that it was it was unrealistic to expect a defendant to prove causation between a particular charge and the fact that they're getting rejected for opportunities. Go to the next slide. So after pawn, you can meet the good cause standard by showing that there's either a present disadvantage related to your records. Let's say you've had some job rejections or a future foreseeable disadvantage. Because there may be instances where, let's say you're in the, you know, you're a certified nursing assistant and you want to apply for a job. There's no use in applying because they reject anybody with anything, even if it ends in their favor. So it's better to seal it and then go forward because you can't unring the bell if you've applied for a job at a certain place and then they know you have a record. Um, other factors to consider are um, the risk of unemployment or underemployment, housing problems, risk of homelessness. You know, how prevalent is it that the type of employer or an occupational license um, uses Corey? And nowadays that's mostly everybody. And some of the other factors are, um, you know, are you receiving public assistance for yourself or your family despite your efforts to be self-supporting? Um, have you been denied the ability to volunteer or go to community events? We have a lot of clients who can't um, attend their kids' school events or class trips because of their records. That is major for a lot of people, even with, again, with dismissed cases and, and favorable outcomes. Um, there are a lot of issues with that in terms of um, school activities, but if somebody even wants to help out in the church, they might not be able to if they have a soup kitchen or something like that. Even churches nowadays do quarries. It's, it's, it's pretty prevalent. Um, the, the judge has also got to look at the amount of time um, since the um, offense or the arrest. Um, the DAs generally will always say you look at the time at, at, the, at the time when the case wrapped up. But we all know 
uh, court can really drag on, so it's really not fair. Uh, in the Pawn case, I said you you can look at the date of the actual the date that the actual offense happened. So for a lot of clients, that that will mean the more time you know has passed since they were you know um, in trouble with the law, and and you can demonstrate that you've you've changed and have turned your life around. You know, sobriety is a big factor. Any kind of rehabilitation efforts. Um, or anything it's self improvement in the in the pawn case. I remember we our client had gone to some little course on um, money management, so they actually cite as that as as a type of thing that shows you're you're working on yourself. Um, successful completion of probation um, is a, is another factor, and other accomplishments. Uh, we've had clients who get community awards. It's good to probe because uh, even though somebody has a long criminal record in their community, um, they can be recognized as a leader and as someone who's actually done a lot to help others. Um, other things uh, are uh, mitigating factors. You know, the brain isn't fully developed until age 25. There's case law on that from the SJC and from the U.S. Supreme Court. So if somebody was 19 years old and now they're 45, uh, you know, the, the, their age could be a mitigating factor. Um, stigma and stereotypes. Uh, we, we have clients who are homeless and they're caught outside publicly urinating. So they're charged with indecent exposure. So, you know, that's something that sounds pretty terrible. So, you know, judges are usually sympathetic. Um, and then you can also make an argument about racial stereotypes. And, uh, you know, obviously that's something you're going to talk with your client about in terms of putting it in the affidavit. But but that's something that's real out there in terms of, um, you know, uh, somebody looking a record at a record and perceiving people who are black or who are Latinx as as having being more prone to committing crimes, even though it's a wrong stereotype. So we deal with the existing racism that's out there. And then the reason for the disposition, you know, obviously, if it's there's sort of a damning police report, and the reason the person um, had the case uh, dismissed was the the alleged victim didn't show up for the trial. That's not going to be a good situation for the client. So you also have to talk to people about the, and it depends on the the nature of the offense as well. We we have probably the hardest time sealing any kind of sex offense. Um, same with domestic violence cases. Um, that's that's another area where realistically the the person in, may have to wait the three years and use the administrative process to seal those offenses. And the same with um, some of the sex offenses. Um, there are there are going to be situations where um, judges just aren't going to uh, seal those offenses. So it's good to have a discussion with the client so that their expectations. Um, you know, are reasonable based on the situation Though we can never guarantee even a, a good outcome before the pawn case. I remember I had clients who had not guilty findings and we had judges, believe it or not, were denying a ceiling of, of fences. Uh, the courtroom process, um, the, the judge is going to have the equivalent of a Corey report. It's like Corey and hence it's called carry. It's criminal activity record information. So it'll be all of the criminal cases that have not been sealed. And then if the defendant has any um, 
restraining orders that's also going to be listed on the report. And um, I've seen some of carries have also included um, the uh, juvenile records of the individual. Um, though those technically shouldn't shouldn't be considered. Um, so if you have a minute before court starts, you could go up to the clerk and peruse the carry report and see see what's on it just to make sure um, there's nothing there that that that's that shouldn't be there. Um, and again, uh, I would suggest that don't get rattled if the DA objects. Um, everybody gets to have their say in court. And we have a lot of cases where the DA objects, but then the, the court appropriately, you know, applies the pawn standards and we're successful in the end. But, you know, there are going to be those cases that are going to be tougher to get a favorable order on. And then once the, once you get a favorable disposition, um, the order has to be signed by the, the probation department at the courthouse and then mail to the commissioner downtown. Um, so what we do is we tend to about four weeks later, we run the quarry report just to make sure that there was no mess up and that that order got sent downtown. And most of the time it's done appropriately, but here and again, sometimes we um, have situations where, you know, they didn't get the order. Um, if you do lose in court, you can file a motion for reconsideration, and sometimes we'll do a more extensive affidavit or try to collect some letters of reference, uh, but you have to do so within 30 days. Um, the good thing about Corey, unlike any other area of law, is if you lose, you know, you can just refile. So sometimes we will refile six months to a year later. Um, we won't do it immediately, obviously, because if there's another judge, they're going to know it's immediate. Um, but occasionally we've done it even without waiting an extensive amount of time. I had somebody who was um, after a hearing, didn't have many rejections, but then had a whole slew of them. So I went back two months later and I actually got the same judge who changed her mind. So, um, you know, there, there can be hope. That's That's one good thing. And it's wonderful that you can refile because arguably the rehabilitation process is ongoing anyway. Okay, COVID, um, not so much a problem as it was before, um, but one benefit of Corey for some courts is they will conduct hearings by Zoom, which um, could save everybody the trouble of going there. Uh, in Quincy, they actually do them by, by conference call um, which I thought was a little weird, but I have to say it was a quite pleasant experience and very well organized. Um, so you, you can, um, check into the, whether there are options. And if, for example, your, your client is out of state under the COVID procedures, you can, uh, you can ask for a special zoom hearing anyway, you'd have to file a motion to get that unless it's a court where they've just maintained the zooms, you know, during the height of COVID, we were doing most of the hearings by, um, you know, by Zoom, which was really helpful. Okay, and the, we don't have too much time left, but I'm going to deal with expungement and sealing. And I think what we'll probably do is schedule a special session on expungement because a lot has happened in the past year on expungement. And it's harder to expunge than it is to seal in, in a number of instances. So it would be good to probably spend more time on it. 
Um, the difference between expungement and sealing is expungement destroys all of the records. Sealing just limits access. So if you seal your records, the, the police who are on the corner in the cruiser, if they pull you over, they can see your sealed records. If they're expunged, then they shouldn't be in the database anymore. So then they would disappear. And there are certain entities that get to see sealed records, including um, law enforcement. Um, and there are reasons also not to expunge um, or to delay expungement. Um, as Ventura was mentioning about the Annie Dukin and the Sonia Farrakh drug scandal, um, you know, the SJC had dismissed, I think in 2017, it was like 25,000 cases. And now they're in the process of um, people are filing motions to get their fees back on those same cases. So if you destroy your records, you're not going to have records necessarily of all the payments that you made. Um, there might be another instance where you're bringing a police brutality case and it arose out of some instance and there's a, you know, there is a police report and then you have also the, the you probably want the docket sheets from the same case that resulted in the criminal case or there might be some reason. So you want to go over these kinds of factors in detail with your client and in particular, it, find out if your client is a citizen or not. The client is not a citizen, then it's really not a good idea to um, expunge the records because you're destroying everything. And then you got to remember, too, the state records are just one database. There's an FBI database. So um, even if you've sealed everything in, in Massachusetts, the client's records can be in the FBI database. But the FBI database is notorious for having stuff on the front end, but not having stuff on the back end. So they would know that um, so the record probably would say there was uh, a, a, an assault and battery with a deadly weapon charge, but it wouldn't have no disposition. So you wouldn't know whether the person was found not guilty or how the case ended. And if you destroy all the records, um, that's going to be a problem. And if anybody does immigration law or has dealt with ICE, um, you know, criminal records are very important to the process and they also can be grounds for exclusion and deportation. So um, these records need to be available to immigration lawyers and, and also defense attorneys to vacate convictions in appropriate instances. And it'd be hard to do anything if all the records have been destroyed. Go to the next slide. Um, there's two kinds of expungement um, in effect. Maybe go back to the one more. Okay, so there's two kinds of expungement, basically. Okay, we can, I'll start here, okay. Uh, there are two major types of expungement. There's some special uh, provisions for um, juvenile court cases and also for uh, anybody who had an adult case, but it was before age 21. Um, and so that sort of gives you hope initially, but then if, when you read the statute, you'll find out the person can only have a maximum of two cases ever in their life um, when they're filing. And uh, the two cases can have as many charges within them. So you could have a case that's got four charges from the same incident. But if you've got like three cases, even though they're all um, minor cases, everything from tagging to disorderly or, you know, possession or something, of some substance um, that's going to get you to, if, if there's three separate cases, 
Um, you're not going to be able to expunge at all. And then the expungement statute for, for young people also has so many exclusions that um, we probably, since the law was enacted in 2018, I think we've probably had maybe a total of three cases at GBLS. Virtually, it's bad news pretty much to everybody we speak to. Um, there is another provision, though, where there is some good news for people. That's Section 100K, which you can actually use for juvenile records as well as adult records. Um, and that, as opposed to being um, uh, any, having any time limitations, um, it's basically for decriminalized um, offenses, identity issues, and the things that are basically a miscarriage of, of justice. We'll go to the next slide. Uh, this was the uh, petition for juveniles where it's pretty streamlined. You just have to fill out the information and then you send it to the commissioner of probation, not actually to the court. Go to the next slide. Um, 100K, uh, and I should mention, for um, as with all sealing and with the juvenile expungement, there are no filing uh, fees whatsoever. With the Section 100K expungement, that's going to be filed with the court that handled the case. And if either you as the petitioner or the DA ask for it, a hearing um, will be held. Um, and there's no limit on the number of cases or charges. Uh, this is what the petition looks like. And as, as I mentioned, you're gonna file it in the, the court where the um, offense was handled. And uh, try to avoid the temptation to put more than one charge on the petition. The, the statute actually um, requires you to put each offense on a separate petition because a judge could allow some and not others. And I know I did it wrong. In fact, my case went all the way to the SJC. It was uh, having to do with expungement. Uh, unfortunately, no one scolded me or pointed out my error, but I said, gee, you know, I would have had a mess on my hands. You know, the judge had denied it completely, so it was easy, and it was just two charges, but, uh, you know, it was actually three charges, but, uh, you know, it could have been a total mess, so a word to the wise is uh, follow the rules in terms of making sure it's one offense per petition, even though it's repetitive to, to file this way. Okay, we have a, we have brand new case law on uh, Section 100K expungement, um, and I don't think we went over all of the. I missed a slide, or you know what? I was deleting a lot of slides to make the the PowerPoint uh, shorter. So I'm going to run through the grounds for you then. Okay, so you can um, expunge on the grounds that uh, somebody misused your identity, somebody impersonated you, or gave your name and that's why you were arrested, or um, an offense has been decriminalized, which can be marijuana possession under two ounces, or being in the presence of heroin, um, and certain other types of, of offenses that have been decriminalized. Um, demonstrable errors by law enforcement, it could be there was no probable cause, sometimes with racial profiling, you, you know, it could be a really skinny person committed the offense and who do they haul in? It just was the black person who was in the neighborhood who looks nothing like uh, the, the, the person who committed the, the theft or whatever happened. 
Um, demonstrable errors by witnesses it's, and the statute says civilian or expert. So any case where, where it's an Annie Dukin case or Sonia Farrakh case where it's thrown out um, because of the drug lab scandals, um, you can move for expungement on those grounds. And errors by court employees um, or demonstrable fraud perpetrated on the court. But that's a harder ground because there's a, lot, a whole body of law on what is fraud on the court. And it's uh, sort of a hard burden to uh, meet. Uh, with the court court employer, employee errors, it could be that John Jones is already in the system in Dorchester. So uh, there actually was a case where somebody came in with the same name. And so the they issued a complaint against someone who was in their database who was not the right person. So any kind of obvious uh, instances where there, there's something to miss about the case, you know, you can file for expungement. So we'll go to the next slides. Um, and I think we're gonna we were gonna talk about the the SJC case on expungement. I think that was number thirty four. There we go. Okay. So in twenty twenty two, the SJC issued a decision in Commonwealth versus. KW, and that was a case that we had where we had somebody who we had sealed all of his records. So the only thing, and then we, in fact, we had sealed his marijuana cases. Um, and then, so what we did was we filed an expungement petition to take care of the decriminalized um, marijuana charges, which could actually be expunged because expungement is better than sealing. And the client was not an immigrant and had an interest in. Uh, getting rid of some of these uh, cases. Unfortunately, uh, much to our surprise, when we started doing expungement cases in, in, in 2018, after the law passed, there were certain judges, I think maybe they didn't like that marijuana was decriminalized or they didn't like the notion of expungement in general. So we were losing cases that were we thought were no brainers. So we took an appeal and um, we got a great decision from the SJC, and what the SJC, SJC said actually goes beyond um, uh, marijuana cases or decriminalized records. They basically said that um, anytime you expunge under Section 100K, assuming you meet the threshold criteria that you can show that it was identity fraud or you know it's a decriminalized offense that there's gonna be a strong presumption in favor of expunging the records. Um, and the good thing is they also said, it doesn't matter if you've got other offenses on your record, and even if the judge perceives, it's not gonna help you at all. Um, and those are some common stereotypes of the situations we ran into where they thought, oh, you know, this person had a, a long record anyway, so what, what does this matter? Um, so the SJC basically said, if you are eligible, unless there's a strong countervailing factor to the contrary, um, you know, the, the courts basically should be expunging offenses. They declined to say what the a strong countervailing factor might be. Uh, common sense tells me that I think if somebody came in and there was a warrant for their arrest or something like that, they'd have to clean up all that stuff first. Um, so we'll wait to see as to what other uh, case law develops. We're at 1257. So. I'm gonna uh, wrap up and I'm gonna just mention there is a new form. Oh, let's go back one more. Let's go back to the KW. It should be 100K and a fourth actually. Oh, but 
go back to okay we got it all right so um there's a new section which was added also what happened was around the time we were having trouble with expungement we also talked to legislators legislators and there was a bill that was also on a parallel track which passed um and that actually in marijuana cases only it removed the discretion of judges to um, deny petitions as long as the amount was decriminalized and they have to act on the petitions within 30 days and that took effect just recently on november 9th and it also clarified it also requires that um because that was one of the issues was you know the statute said the judge had to make findings it didn't say whether they had to make findings only if they allowed it versus when they deny it um, and the sjc and kw said whether it's denied or allowed they wanted findings so we're gonna we're gonna wrap up our uh presentation with the with the um expungement cases the only comment i've made is i know we're gonna think about we were routinely requesting hearings and we're just going to start trying to do these on the papers and see what happens. And so that, that will be a big time saver. And then the last thing I'll say in my two minutes is once you seal your record, you're entitled to say, I have no record. Ditto with um, expungement. There's some better language under the expungement statute that says um, whatever the context is, you can never be found guilty of perjury or wrongdoing for not disclosing your record. The statute is very specific on sealing and says you can say you have no record when you're applying for housing, um, jobs, and occupational licenses. And then once, once your stuff is sealed, um, obviously the clerk's office should be saying there is no record, but obviously they'll disclose it to law enforcement and entities that have access. So um, I don't know, Ventura, I, I can't, I don't have uh, a bottom uh, row so I can see anything in the chat if you want to pick up any questions, if you see any. Yeah, so there is, I know we're over a little, we'll try to make this quick. There's only a few questions. Um, so the first question was, does it mean that dismissed no cross outcomes are automatically sealed? No, nothing is automatically sealed in Massachusetts. If you have a client with a dismissed or a cross or not guilty, that will require either sealing by having a hearing before a judge or by submitting the petition once it meets the waiting period. Um, but it, those types of cases do not require a waiting period and can go before a judge to seal for the client earlier. Um, the other question is, what is the difference between a court report and a carry report? So the court report is generated by the Department of Criminal Information and Justice Services, and it's actually produced um, when you request it, either um, an individual request or an advocate requests it. A carry is a report that is maintained by the court system, and that's why it is different because it has access to different information that the judge can access. So the judge can access someone's like any civil charges that they have, as well as any training orders that they may have had now or in the past. And so that's why on our intake form, we ask about those things because the judge would be able to see that in court, even if that doesn't appear on a pop, on a copy of someone's query, which they request from the um, Department of Criminal Justice Information Services. 
All right. So those are the only two questions. Um, thank you guys for coming. And please feel free to ask us more questions. Um, of this one more. How about when filling out paperwork for licenses to open things like opening a dispensary? Can you say you have no record on those forms? So that's a great question because when you're applying for a state license, um, usually those are reviewed by state agencies and they do have record, they have access to sealed records. And so if it's a state agency that has access to sealed records, you should not say that you have no record. Um, you should only say that to employers and housing um, when you apply. Well, I think with the, with the dispensaries, um, they, don't, they don't get special access to sealed records. Um, but the worst thing you want to do, whether it's applying for a dispensary or any kind of licensing, is to lie. Because then right. the lie becomes just makes then they find that you're you're just unfit for licensing based on lying. So uh, so it's very important to go over that with the uh, client. And then if you want to look at all the levels of access, you can go to Chapter uh, 6, Section 172, um, and that will lay out all the various uh, levels of access. But in general, the licensors are not going to be getting sealed records. Um, but with the caveat that if it's, it's any job that's licensed by the Department of Early Education and Care, which means child care, it could be preschool, sort of all these sort of occupations have to do with like little kids before age six, um, they're going to get access to those sealed records. So um, so it's, it's good to use some caution and also use some common sense because as I mentioned before, there's a whole other body of records out there. Because even though you seal all your records, if you want to be like a, a mortgage broker, they also can run, they do the fingerprinting and they're going to run the FBI record. So the stuff is going to come up. So you're going to have to get ready to talk about it because they'll, they're going to have that, they're going to have that report. And it's going to be limited as to who gets the FBI reports. It's not a whole lot of folks. It's certain federal jobs or it's certain, um, uh, federal contractors or agencies, or you apply for a job at the post office or the VA hospital, stuff that's federal for a federal agency, you're going to be subjected to a search. But there aren't so many other types of things that, um, you know, where you will be subjected that I know I had a client once who couldn't go on the work site because it was at the Federal Reserve um, in Boston because it was like a federal building. So it, it, can, it can come up in a lot of context. But stealing is going to be good for marijuana stuff. Yes. Um, so one more question. What about sealed records and volunteer opportunities? Again, that's going to depend on where you're volunteering. For most like community centers and even schools, once you seal your record, it's going to show no available record if everything is sealed on your record. But if you're volunteering with a place that is doing a national background check, or um, a federal check or even private background check, then it may still show up even though it's sealed because of the level of access. Okay, so I think that is all of our questions. Thank you for attending and um, we look forward to working with you. Again, as um, 
things, questions come up, please feel free to contact us with your cases. And if there's anything you feel you want more information on, you can go to masslegalhelp.org, which has a very extensive and detailed um, booklet about record sealing and how it works. Thank you again to our speakers and to our attendees. And with that being said, I want a great afternoon. Have a good one.